This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, The End Times, and it comes from Daniel 11, 1 through 45. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song was ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gifts. So won't you do that today? You can call us with your gift by dialing 601-483-8648. And there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Our mail is your gift, the Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Your gift, the Word Talk, Inc., is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Now, your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Now, Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson from Daniel, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com. Again, that's Radio Bible Class with no space between radiobibleclass.podbean.com. You can also listen to us on iTunes by going to the podcast section and searching for WMER Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class, and you'll find us there. And last, we're streaming live now on WMERWorldwide.com. Again, that's WMERWorldwide.com, and you can listen to WMER Radio anytime at that site. Today, we pick back up in chapter 11. Now, remember last week I told you chapter 10, 11, and 12 all go together. Even though they are three separate chapters, really they are just one particular uh, information about a single vision that Daniel had. The other thing that commentators say about chapter 11 is that it is one of the most detailed chapters in the whole Bible about Bible prophecy. It spans prophecy of about 400 years with exact details. And then it also talks about the end time, which has not come yet. Now, this had not happened when Daniel pinned this down, but when this vision was given to him, it was all prophecy. We have the luxury now of going back and looking in history, and we can see the precision, the detail of this prophecy and how it was fulfilled to the point. Over 136 prophecies in this one chapter are fulfilled exactly. Now, to give you a, a background real quick on chapter 10, what we did last week, we were allowed to see behind the curtain of prayer. We saw Daniel, how he had this prayer, and then how all of a sudden the Lord Jesus came to him in all his majesty and all his glory. I point out how some commentators say that wasn't Jesus, but I use Revelation, and I compared it to Daniel, and we saw a Christophacy, or at least that's what I think it is. I do believe that was Jesus that came to Daniel. And I likened his response to the same response that Paul had on that road to Damascus, where Jesus appeared as a light brighter than the sun. And you can imagine the effect that it had on Daniel just like it did on Saul. And then we saw how another angel did come in and he strengthened Daniel and he gave him the most detailed events about what's going on and what is going to occur going forward. 
I also point out how this angel said that he was dispatched immediately when Daniel started praying fervently for the people of Israel. And but yet there was this prince of Persia that held him up. And we looked at the that there are angels, good angels, and then there are the angels that are fallen angels that are with Satan. And there was a spiritual battle. And that's what I meant by looking behind the curtain of prayer. We talked about spiritual warfare and how sometimes we pray and we don't see what we want immediately and it's because there is the spiritual warfare going on holding up what God wants us to do but I also pointed out that God's timing is always right if God wants it it happens and that there is no power on earth that can hold it up now if you look at chapter 11 like I said there are a lot of verses and so chapter 11 is now the angel explaining what is going on? We're going to jump right in. We're going to look at the first four verses. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 11, and we'll start with verse 1. We'll read through verse 4, and I'll be reading out of the ESV. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And now I will show you the truth, that is the angel speaking. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and the four shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise, who shall rule with great dominion and do his wills. And as soon as he has risen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of the heaven, but not to his prosperity, nor according to the authority for which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to the others beside these." So in these four verses right here, we see the prophecy, we see the vision that Daniel's had. And the angel's telling him, and this is the angel talking to Daniel, and he's saying that, hey, there is going to be three more kings that arise in Persia, and then a fourth shall arise, and he'll be richer of them all. I don't have time to go into this in detail, but what I will tell you, there were three kings. You can go look it up in history, in Persian history. After the three kings, there came a famous and a wealthy king, and his name was Xerxes. And we know about King Xerxes. It's in the Bible. He's listed there. If you go back to the book of Esther, we know that Esther was married to Xerxes, and she saves the nation of Israel by standing before him, risking her life by going there and telling him the plan there is to wipe out the nation of Israel. Xerxes was a great king. He was indeed rich, just as it was told to him. And because of his riches, he became very strong and powerful. Because of this power and his riches, it made him go after other countries to grow his empire. And by growing his empire, he also went after Greece. And because he went after Greece, that was what brought Alexander the Great up against and the battle against the Persians. So just as verse 2 says, there were three more kings and then this fourth king, Xerxes. And then in verse 3 and 4, we see the prophecy of Alexander the Great, how he is going to rise, how he will do as he wills and he'll have dominion. He was able to have an empire that was even bigger than the Persian Empire. But in verse 4, it talks of his demise and as soon as he's risen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided by the four winds of heaven. Well, if you know about Alexander the Great, at the age of 32, he wound up catching a fever from a drunken stupor from a huge party that he had, and he dies. 
and there was no successor. So what happens? They divide the kingdom up by the four generals that he had running his military. If you look at verse 4, that's prophesied too. It won't go to his prosperity. It won't go to those in which he ruled, but it goes to those that ruled his armies for him. Now the next 15 verses, verses 5 through 20, are about the different generals and really the king of the north and the king of the south. The king of the south was down in Egypt and that was Ptolemy, the Ptolemy kingdom. And the king of the north was up in Syria and that was Seleucus. And that was, these two men were both generals under Alexander the Great. Now there were two more, they're not talked about because they really didn't battle the way these two did. And they battled back and forth and right over Israel. And because it affected the nation of Israel, that is why most commentators say that he only talks about the north and the south here, not the east and the west. I'm not going to spend the time reading all of verse 5 through 20. I'll let you go back and do that. But understand that this battle goes on for about 130 years. And it's between Egypt and Syria. It's between Seleucus and Ptolemy. And they go back and forth, and Israel's caught right in the middle, and sometimes it's won by the north, and other times it's won by the south. And you'll see that there's kings that come and go from the north and the south. There's intermarriage that goes to try to bring peace. And over time, we get down to verse 21, we start seeing the single king of the north. And his name was Antiochus Epitomes. Now, we've talked about him before. In chapter 8, if you go back and listen to it, he was the little horn that rises up. He was the one that persecuted Israel. Ultimately, he set up that first abomination of desolation in the temple of Jerusalem. If you remember, I told you some scholars call him the Antichrist of the Old Testament. He is a foreshadowing of the Antichrist that will come. Now, history tells us that he reigned from 175 B.C. to 164 B.C. And we're going to look at verse 21 through 28. We're going to look at Antiochus Epitomes. Look at verse 21 with me and notice how similar it is about the Antichrist that we'll look at in just a little bit. In his place shall arise a contemptible person to whom royal majesty has not been given. He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken. And even the prince of the covenant. And from the time that the alliance is made with him, he shall act deceitful and he shall become strong with small people. Without warning, he shall come into the richest parts of the province and he shall do what neither his father nor his father's fathers have done, scattering among them plunder, spoils and goods. And he shall devise plans against strongholds, but only for a time. And he shall stir up his power and his heart against the king of the south with a great army. And his king of the south shall wager an extremely great and mighty army, but shall not stand, for plot shall be devised against him. Even, even though he eats his food, shall break him. His army shall be swept away. Many shall fall down slain. And as for the two kings, their hearts shall be bent on evil, and there shall speak lies at the same table. But to no avail, for the end is not yet at that time appointed. And he shall return to his land with great wealth, but his heart shall be set against the holy covenant, and he shall work his will and return to his own land. So this is talking about Antiochus Epiphanes and how he builds a, a strong alliance and how he 
flatters everyone with his speech and how he be, builds up this great army and how strong he is. And yet then we see in verse 29, all of a sudden, how he now gets taken down. Look at verse 29 with me. And at that time appointed, he shall return and come into the south. But it shall not be this time as it was before. For the ships of Kittim shall come against him. And he shall be afraid and withdrawn and shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the holy covenant. And he shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the holy covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress, for he shall take away the regular burnt offering, and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolation. And he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And we'll stop right there. So what happens here, we know from history that now he goes and makes a run on the south. And as he does that, there is a naval battle that takes place. And guess who beats him? It is the Roman Empire. It's the early Roman Empire. They don't take completely over yet, but the Roman Empire stops him and they win. As a matter of fact, there's a story said that there's this general populace who battled against him and he meets him and he draws a circle around him in the sand because they're right there on the sand. And he tells him, you either surrender and you go back in peace and you keep peace or you die today. And it says that Antiochus made the decision to keep peace and to surrender. And he went back and when he went back, he took out his vengeance on the Jews. And that is the Holy Covenant that we read about right here in this vision. And what is that vengeance? Well, we talked about it before. It's about him doing the abomination of desolation. Look back at verse 31 with me. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress, and he shall take away the regular burnt offering, and they shall set up the abomination and make desolate. If you don't remember from what we studied in chapter 8, this is where Antiochus goes to Jerusalem and he enters the temple. And we learn that there he erects this pagan altar, and it's an altar of Zeus. And then he offers a pig, an unclean animal, to the Jews upon the altar. He desecrates that altar by putting that pig there. And then he takes the juices and the, and the broth of that pig, and he sprinkles it all over the sanctuary, thus defiling the whole sanctuary. And this is what fulfills what is called the abomination makes desolate. But I want you to really mark verse 31 somehow. I want you to understand this because this is important. This is a foreshadowing that we're about to get to starting in verse 35 and 36. But there is another that is going to come. This is a near fulfillment. And then there is a far fulfillment. There is some in prophecy. This is one of the things we see a lot is that there is a near fulfillment. And there's even a greater fulfillment that happens in the future. And there is one coming, and we will see this in just a minute, that will take and make Antiochus look nice. He's going to be worse than Antiochus, and he is going to do the same thing to the temple. He is going to bring an abomination against desolation. Well, maybe you're a history buff and you know that that temple really didn't get completely destroyed because remember, Jesus tells his disciples that the temple is destroyed and there won't be one stubble left. Well, how did that temple get back? People were going in and they were worshiping it. Well, in verse 32 through 35, we see the Maccabees. 
And we know from history that the Maccabees and a man named Matthias and his family that battled against Antiochus and they led a revolt against authority and his sons and himself were successful and they recaptured the temple and they cleaned the sanctuary. They restored the Jewish offering and they were able to start back doing the daily offerings in the morning and at night. Now, if you know somebody that is a Jew, somebody that follows the Jewish law and customs to a T, then they celebrate this. And this happens the same time we celebrate Christmas because this happened back December 25th, 164 BC. But all this is told about in verses 32 through 35. Look at it with me real quick. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take actions. This is the Maccabees. And the wise among the people shall make many understand. Though for some days they shall stumble by the sword and by the flame, by captive and plunder. And when they stumble, they shall receive little help. And many shall join themselves to them with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end. For it still awaits the appointed time. So right here we see the prophecy predicts that there will be the rise of the people who will know their God and will do exploits who are strong and they receive little help and ultimately they overcome. And this is the Maccabees as I pointed out. They had to appeal to the Romans to help. And this appeal was really responsible for the Roman government coming in and controlling Palestine. But the Maccabees come in and they're able to restore the sanctuary. They're able to restore the offering for the Jews. Now I want to focus in real quick on verse 35 on some key words. Right at the end of verse 35, it says, Until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. In the New Living Translation, it says, Until the time of the end, for the appointed time is still yet to come. If you have a traditional King James, it says, even to the time of the end, because it is yet for a time appointed. And the last version I want to point out is the New American Standard. It says, until the end time, because it is still to come at an appointed time. So this points to a future time that's coming. Remember, I told you about the near fulfillment and the future, the far fulfillment. This is now telling us that this isn't the end, even though this has happened, even though the desolation has happened, even though Antiochus did exactly what it said here, there is another coming. And we're going to look at this. Now look at verses 36 through 45 with me. And this is the section where we see the last king. This is the 70th week that we talked about. Now this last king will be a king of the north. He'll be a world political leader. He'll be the first beast that we see in Revelation 13. But ultimately, he will bring the abomination of desolation that we also see in Revelation. Now let's look at the personality of this Antichrist. Look at verse 36 through 39 with me. And the king shall do as he wills, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his father, or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to the other gods, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the gods of fortress instead of these. 
a God whom his father did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortress with the help of the foreign God. Those who acknowledge him shall load his honor. He shall make them ruler over many and shall divide the land for a price. Well, in these few verses, there is a mouthful of things to look at. First, he is going to be a king of blasphemy. He is going to be a liar. He's going to be a smooth talker. He's going to be a flatterer. We also see that he shall prosper. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished. Now, that word indignation is another term for great tribulation. It indicates that this man is going to have power over the whole Middle East. He is going to be over this 10-nation confederation. We'll dive more into that later. And this great tribulation is Daniel's 70th week. And what we're really seeing is the last half of it, the second half of the tribulation. We also see he's going to rule by military power. It says he shall honor the God's fortress. That means he is going to allow himself to be a religious leader, but he's also going to have this great military power backing him. Revelation 13 shows us that there is this military power that this leader will have. It's the next Roman Empire that gets restored, will be dominant in the last days. And he is going to be in a league of his own. He is going to raise himself up to be as a foreign God. He is going to be as a God. And as we see in Revelation 13, the whole world will want to worship him. And he will have the whole world to worship him. I want to point out in verse 37 where it says, He will pay no attention to the gods of his father and the one beloved by women. This indicates that he is probably Jewish that he is going to come out of a Jewish-based background, and so he's not going to love the God of his father. But the other part of this verse where it says, to the one beloved by women, some commentators say that he's going to be gay. Now, I don't think that's the case. I think what this means, if you go back to the Jewish custom back then, women wanted the Messiah to come through them. What Mary did, they wanted that godly birth, that virgin birth, and then the last phrase I want to point out, and then we'll move on because I'm almost out of time already. He shall be in a league with a foreign God, and he shall divide the land for a price. Again, what commentators say here is that there is a quarrel that goes right now between the Jew and the Arab over the ownership of the land of Israel, over the temple mound. And he is going to settle that. He is going to divide the land, and he's going to make peace through that. Revelation tells us that this Antichrist is going to be a man who will come and he will be able to bring peace in the Middle East. And that's what this vision says too, that he'll be able to divide the land for a price and be able to bring peace. And there, as you know, there's been no peace in the Middle East. So let's look at the closing section of what happens in the last days. Verse 40, at the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. And the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. And he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. And he shall come into the glorious land. And tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand. Edom and Moab and the main parts of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hands against these countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. And he shall become a ruler of the treasures of gold and silver and the precious things of Egypt and the Libyans and the, the Crushites shall follow his train. But the news from the east and the north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with a great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch his tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain, 
yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. Here it is talking about the great battle in the book of Revelation, the battle of Armageddon. Daniel learned from the angel who's giving this interpretation of the vision that it is going to start out with an attack against Syria from Egypt. The king of the south will attack the king of the north. And then their ancient enemies will be restored and Israel will once again become a convenient battlefield for both of them. Now this attack occurs both because Syria has made a covenant with the Jews and this angers the Egyptians and also because Syria has made a covenant with the Jews and allowing restoration to be Jewish worship happening at the temple right there in Jerusalem. And the Egyptians are going to attack, but the king of the north shall strike back and he shall rush upon like a whirlwind and chariots and horsemen and many ships. Most Bible scholars feel that this suggests that little Syria is going to have greater forces than that could be from this small country, that they're going to have people at their disposal. And this links with Syria that already exists today with the Soviet Union, Russia. And we're told that he conquers Egypt and North Africa. The North comes down through Palestine. This could very be the time while he's going down into Egypt and North Africa where he erects the abomination of desolation right in the temple because he's going to go right through there to hit Egypt. And if you look in Revelation, we also see while there's this battle going on, there is a enemy out of the east that will where the sun rises that comes with forces of 200 million men against Israel in the last days. But we see right here in the end that he comes back out of this battle down in North Africa and he pitches his tent from in between the Mediterranean Sea, that's the sea, the holy mountain, that would be Jerusalem. And he says there will come an end where no one can help him. And we see the same ending that happens in the book of Revelation. It says suddenly appears Jesus Christ with the armies of the heaven and he takes the beast and the false prophet, and he overcomes them and he casts them into a lake of fire. Right here in Daniel, where it's called the revelation of the Old Testament, and then revelation by John in the New Testament, we see that Jesus comes in and he takes out the Antichrist, and we win. They are overcome and thrown into the lake of fire. I'm out of time, so let me close with this final thought. This is a very difficult passage in Daniel 11. Many Bible scholars have wrestled with this and they've struggled over it. There are areas in this chapter where scholars don't agree. Like I've said in the past, I'm not here to be dogmatic, say my way's right, but I've tried to show you what I believe and I do that by looking at what Revelation says and what Daniel says and tying the two together, using the Bible as commentary on the Bible. But here's what I want to close with. This passage wasn't given to us to frighten us. It wasn't given to us to go and build a bomb shelter and stockpile cans of food and dry beans and guns and ammunition, even though I know people that are doing that. I believe this was given to us so that we can understand that we are living in the end times and that we need to go out and tell others. There are those that are not going to be raptured with the church. While this is going on, the church is out of here. We're already gone. And if you know someone that isn't saved, hopefully you have a tug on your heart to go talk to them about Jesus and getting them to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. And that's what I would challenge you today, is if you don't know Christ, today is the day to know him. 
And if you're listening and you are a Christian, today is the day for you to go out and tell others about Christ. Go make disciples. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. Well, we thank you that you sent this angel to give Daniel the information that we can study and understand and understand what is coming. Lord, that we can tie back to what you prophesied way back before Daniel ever saw it and how it was fulfilled to the letter of the law. And Lord, we can point others to that and we can show them how your word is fulfilled to the T, how you know all things. You have everything under control. Lord, right now, I pray for those that don't know you. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they would ask you to be Lord of their life. Lord, they would ask you to come in. They would profess with their mouth that they're a sinner and they would believe on the finished work you did on the cross, how you nailed their sins to the cross. And Lord, they would confess you before men. Lord, maybe there are those that know you, but they don't have the walk they should. They don't they're not where they should be. Lord, I pray that they would turn over the areas that you're knocking on their heart and bring into light. Lord, that they would give that to you. And Lord, that they would go out and tell others about you. Lord, I thank you for all the blessings you give us. Lord, I pray that you will strengthen our faith. Lord, we ask all this in your name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.